Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Hello, and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, bzzz, I wanted to say that all day, virtual hives. Let's talk about it. Talent is no longer just located within a few mile radius of the doorstep of your headquarters site. Now the world can be your proverbial workforce oyster. The rewards can be great, but only if your HR team knows how to shift from traditional face-to-face team environments, you know, side-by-side, in the cubicles, walking down the hall, coffee cooler, all that, to virtual ways of working. Why? Because you need to optimize and find the key to collaboration and innovation. You've got all this talent from all over the world. You've got to do something great with it. So are virtual hives the answer? Makes me think of queen bees and drones. We've got to find out about that. I have a panel of four terrific experts who are going to speak on this topic. Let me tell you what they sent me before the show, and then we'll have them unravel their quotes. First up will be John Hagel III, I'll say it once, from Deloitte. And he says, virtual hives will never achieve their true potential until we move beyond process and protocol to passion and performance. That's a pithy statement. We'll hear from John Hagel in just a couple of minutes. Also joining us today is Jason Lauritsen from Talent Anarchy, and he says, very simply, technology is a tool, not a strategy. I know Jason will have a lot to talk about when we get to him. Alan Lepofsky from Constellation RG, a return guest, and thank you, Alan. And he says, X percent reduction in email is not an effective measurement of your social business success. Hmm. Let's see how Alan ties that to virtual hives. And rounding out our panel, another return guest, very happy to have Samir Patel from SAP with us. And he says, with virtual enterprises, the all-important hallway conversation is slowly dying. We need to mentor high-potential employees in an increasingly virtual world. Right on the money there, Samir. We'll talk to you in a minute. So join us for the next hour for more of their expert insights on working models, virtual hives for collaboration and innovation. Welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are coming to you live. It's Tuesday, November 5th. Those of you in the U.S., if it's a voting day... Do your civic duty, get out there and vote. That's all I'm going to say. I'll be doing it after the show. We are coming to you on the business channel on Voice America World Talk Radio. Very happy to be here. Let me tell you who's on my panel. Let's meet them. First up is John Hagel. I I have to say the third one more time, John. He has nearly 30 years of experience as a management consultant, author, speaker, and entrepreneur. He is co-chair of the Silicon Valley-based Deloitte Center for the Edge, which conducts original research and develops substantive points of View POVs for new corporate growth. From 1984 to 2000, he was a principal at McKenzie and Company and a strategy practice leader. In 1993 to 2000, he founded and led McKinsey's electronic commerce practice. And I want to add that he also founded two Silicon Valley startups, and he's the author of a series of best-selling business books, including Net Gain, Net Worth, Out of the Box, and The Only Sustainable Edge. Long bio. John Hagel, welcome. How are you today? Great. Thank you very much. Good. Where are you calling from? From a very windy Miami, Florida. I hope the sun is accompanying the wind. Yes? <laughs> no, 
Not really. It's hiding. <laughs> okay. What can I tell you? All right. We'll talk to you in a minute. Thank you, John. Jason Lauritsen is an innovator, a consultant, and a keynote speaker. His company, Talent Anarchy, I have to find out how you named that, helps leaders and organizations unleash their talent for greater performance and innovation. Jason is one part, I love this. Here's the formula. Everybody write this down. One part HR executive, one part sales guy, and one part entrepreneur. He's co-author of the book Social Gravity, Harnessing the Natural Laws of Relationships. Jason Lauritsen, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure. Where are you calling from today, Jason? I'm calling from a cold and rainy Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> okay. We're doing the spread of the country here. Can't wait to find where the other guests are. I'm on Long Island, by the way, and it's it's sort of half between sunny and cloudy, but crisp and not too bad. So here we go. Thank you, Jason. Alan Lepofsky, I have to mention congratulations on your recent marriage. Thanks for sharing the gorgeous photos with me. Appreciate that, Alan. And now to get down to business, Alan Lepofsky is the VP and Principal Analyst for Constellation Research. And uh, we have several people from Constellation who've been on the show recently. Glad to have you back, Alan. With almost two decades of experience in the software industry, Alan helps organizations understand how to develop, purchase, and implement collaboration solutions. That's why he's here today. Rather than evangelizing how social software can change the way people work, Alan focuses on how organizations can improve their existing business processes by providing access to the colleagues, content, and communities, three C's, that help people get their work done more effectively. That's the point. Alan Lepofsky, welcome back. How are you, newlywed? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you very much. And I guess to add a little bit of international flavor location-wise, I am calling in from Toronto, Ontario today. Okay. We're really doing the globe here. Thank you, Alan. And how's the weather, you have to tell us? Uh, cold as well, but I will not say rainy. It is actually sunny out today. So uh, give it another week or two till winter is in full effect up here. There you go. We'll take it. Okay, good. Uh, let's see. Okay. And Samir Patel is GM and Senior VP for SAP's Enterprise Social and Collaborative Software Business, leading product management and go-to-market. Samir is a return guest here on SAP Game Changers Radio. He brings 15 years of tech leadership experience, working with some of the world's largest organizations on business execution via collaboration and application technology. His customers have included Intel, Nike, CA, Oracle, Sun Microsystems, Exo Communications, Symex, McKesson, and Wrigley. He has keynoted on social computing and the future of enterprise software at many, many well-known conferences. And Samir writes about organizational performance and the future of enterprise software at his blog. I believe it's pretzellogic.org. Samir Patel, welcome back. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, let's hear it. Where are you calling from, Samir? From sunny Palo Alto. Okay, so we have a little bit of everything here. I think we're stretching coast to coast and up and not. Yeah, we've got everything, right? Florida, Canada, New York, California, and we had an Omaha in there, I think. Very good. Couldn't have planned it better. I want to do a shout-out also to our two co-producers, Malcolm Kimberlin is listening, and Tom Flanagan as well. Oh, we have Arizona. That's where the radio station is located. Okay, let's go back into our quotes. Let's open this up and see what we really want to talk about today. John Hagel from Deloitte. You say virtual hives, and I want you to define them for us, John. Virtual hives will never achieve their true potential until we move beyond process and protocol to passion and performance. Sounds like a great motto, John. Talk to me. Let's level set. What is a virtual hive? 
sure. Well, like anything, it can have many different meanings, but I think basically what we're talking about is a small group of people who are brought together in a work environment that's virtual, uh, where location of the individuals no longer really matters. You can use technology to connect and collaborate uh, and create a virtual work environment, a virtual hive, if you will, that allows you to tap into talent wherever it resides. Okay, and uh, how long has the concept been around? I tried to Google it, and I couldn't really find much, John. Who who coined this? Do we know? That I don't know. It has been around for quite a while, and it has many different uh, uses, but uh, it's become a term of art. Okay, a term of art. Interesting. <laughs> and you say when we move beyond process and protocol to passion and performance, who has to do that movement? Who has to say, okay, we're process-based, we're protocol-based, we're reading rules and regulations, we've got to up the ante, we've got to get some passion in, we've got to go for performance. Where does that push come from, John, that transition, if you will? Well, that's a good question. I think the logical candidate would be the HR executives in a company who are most focused on how you connect people and get uh, higher performance uh, from them. But I think that the tendency, which is quite understandable, it happens with all new generations of technology as we try to push the technology into the traditional way of doing things and simply proceed as uh, as always. And I think that's going to significantly under under uh, represent the potential of, of this technology and the ability to connect people in a much more flexible way. So Thank it, you, John. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say it's, it's partly helping to connect those virtual hives with each other and with a much broader array of resources through pull-based platforms that's really going to get the potential, the full potential of this kind of collaboration in place. Uh, but that does require passion because if you're talking about pull, it's the in- initiative of the individuals. You're not, they're not just waiting for instructions and the process manual. They have to take initiative, identify opportunities, and use the pull platforms to drive to ever higher levels of performance. Interesting. Thank you, John. It sounds like you have to hire the right people with the right mindset and the capability to understand what passion means in the work environment. Thank you. We'll talk to you a lot more after we go through these opening quotes and when we get to the roundtable. Jason Lauritsen, Talent Anarchy. Technology is a tool, not a strategy. Relate that to virtual hives for me, please, Jason. Well, I think um, for me, I think that's a common theme that I see when we're, you know, we're talking about this is an HR strategy, right? It's a talent strategy. How do we, you know, how do we expand our reach and bring in talent that we don't have otherwise, otherwise have access to in our, our geographic locations where we're located with bricks and mortar? And I think a lot of times we think that just by buying the, the tool or the software and applying it that somehow we've, we fixed the problem. And, and all too often I think we see that we, we put out expenditures, we buy the technology and we don't see the results. And I think a lot of times that's because we're not intentional about thinking about the the impact of what we're trying to what we're trying to accomplish how we're trying to accomplish it and oftentimes that that can backfire on us and so i think going into any discussion about creating a, a virtual workforce or or rallying our virtual troops needs to be very um, specifically planned i think and intentionally thought through as to what it means and the impacts and how are we going to put the structures and the process and the support around it to make that tool work, to allow people to be more successful. So 
probably very similar to the, the comments we just heard as well. Thank you, Jason, and we'll talk to you in a minute in the roundtable. Alan Lepofsky, Constellation RG. X percent reduction in email is not an effective measurement of social business success. Relate this to our virtual hives topic. Alan. Certainly. Well, you know, to take that, that just that statement out of context, it needs a little bit of a wrapper, but I think John and I are, are talking about very similar things of how these collaborative technologies enable groups of people, no matter where they are, what language they speak, where they work, et cetera, time zones they're in, to, to work together. They've, they've been around for decades, ranging from, you know, email was the starter of it, to chat, to web conferencing, to social networks and blogs and wikis. There's a variety of tools and lots of new tools. The problem is too many of the uh, uh, customers that come to us start with this mission of, okay, we want to reduce, you know, email uh, usage. And unfortunately, that's not a KPI that a company wants to look at. Reducing email usage is a byproduct of successfully collaborating. It should not be your goal. The goal should be doing things like enabling sales teams to sell faster, enabling customer support to answer questions faster, or in the HR case, to enable onboarding, uh, get employees up to speed more rapidly and more accurately in meeting their colleagues. Those should be the goals. And unfortunately, I just have too many people coming saying, you know, our top-down mission is to reduce email. And, you know, I always speak to them about, well, you're going to get that, but let's not have that as the goal in your chart. So that's where that statement sort of comes from. Interesting. Thank you. Alan, I'm going to ask you a question that I'll pose to the rest of the panel later. question is, when I think of the word hive, virtual or face-to-face, I think of a tightly constructed organization with a hierarchy, with a pecking order, if you will, with, as I said in the intro, the queen bee and the drones. Everybody knows their role. They know their place. Is it really that tight in what we're calling virtual hives today? What's your POV on that or your experience? Well, I think there are two different aspects of things. In a typical project management situation where you've got a set goal and a set task, there are people that have very specific roles in it. If you're trying to launch a new product and you're wanting to do that more socially and, you know, do the project management online versus Excel spreadsheets or Microsoft projects, there are still people with specific goals. There's someone accountable for the overall development of the projects. There's developers that are building it. There's marketing people that are marketing. So people still have roles. The difference is in these hives, those roles are, are less hierarchical. They're still defined, but mm-hmm. they're flatter. You know, there isn't a, I report to this person. There's just each person has the accountability for the piece that they have, you know, in, in the execution of that process. In more generic communities, things like customer support or feedback forums or um, feature request databases and customer support on websites like airlines and uh, telephone companies, that's where you don't see the specific hierarchy. Everybody's sort of equal in that role. You have people that are moderators for the panel. You have people that are, you know, um, inside asking questions, and you have people that are helping answer. But you don't have sort of a management structure or hierarchy. Thank you very much. And let's get Samir Patel in here. Samir, I'll read your quote again. Very interesting. With virtual enterprises, the all-important hallway conversation, and I want you to tell me, please, what is still so important about that. I agree, but I want to hear your point of view, is slowly dying. We need to mentor high-potential employees in an increasingly virtual world. Talk to me, Samir. Sure. So I think there's, uh, you know, there's all phenomenal comments, I think, um, one thing I'd like to sort of build on is where I look at it is, uh, you know, the, the advent of having, um, you know, highly distributed organizations, I think has, is going to have a profound impact or should have already had a profound impact on how, uh, HR thinks about, you know, their, their mission, their mission and their sort of raison d'etre, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
organizations, you know, the brains that are actually executing day in and day out are uh, not in any kind of sphere of control anymore, just like Alan said. Um, and I think, you know, the, the impact of this highly distributed organization now on everything right from the recruiting and onboarding all the way through to uh, executing on your work has completely different opportunities and challenges expressed by or presented by having these very distributed organizations. Today, the, the, you know, the folks who are actually uh, executing day in and day out on strategy are not sitting around you. They're not connected necessarily to uh, the best people who could mentor them, who could get them onboarded more effectively, who could train them, and who could uh, uh, collaborate with them day in and day out on tasks, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think the advent of distributed organizations is only sort of another reason or excuse in some ways to think about this. But um, even if you did not have, you know, uh, excessive, um, you know, things like working from home and working in distributed organizations, large global organizations have been have been uh, uh, operating this way for decades already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why is it that, you know, I have, you know, only got access to the best experts, the best colleagues, the best people on the job that might be physically around me? And why can't I tap? Even at SAP, 66,000 people are the best 2% from there for a particular job. Um, you know, this doesn't become about a collaboration conversation anymore. This actually becomes more around a talent management and a talent execution strategy more and more and more where the innovation and collaboration that we've seen over the last four or five years becomes even more of an enabler and should have always been one. So, uh, you know, there's 100% direct impact on how HR views, um, you know, the, the role that they can play. Um, in this during changing uh, work as well. Thank you, Samir. And guess what? You took me up to the break. We're going to push the show out to only two breaks because we have such a good conversation going. I want to make sure everybody gets plenty of time. Guess what? Today's buzz virtual hives. We're talking about working models. Virtual hives, can they work for you? Virtual hives for collaboration and innovation. My panel of experts today, John Hagel III from Deloitte, Jason Lauritsen, Talent Anarchy, Alan Lepofsky, Constellation RG, and Samir Patel at SAP. We're talking, we're thinking, we're buzzing. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. We'll be right back. One minute. Don't go away. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers. Presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram 
at SAP.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Here we are, and we're talking about virtual hives. Can they work for your company? If so, what do you have to do if you haven't done them yet? Maybe we should ask why not, but how do you do them very, very well? I'm going to kick off this segment. Oh, my goodness, I almost forgot. It's time to find out what's in my guest's cup today. I'm so excited about the topic. Let's do that first, get that housekeeping out of the way, and then we'll jump into our roundtable. So forgive me, John Hagel Deloitte. What are you drinking today, or what do you want us to think you're drinking, John? <laughs> I'm drinking green tea at the moment, but for me it's less about what's in the cup than who's around the cup and the ability to have serendipitous encounters with cups of coffee, tea, wine, whatever. Oh, nice. I like that. Serendipitous encounters. We have to put that somewhere. I'm going to write that down. Thank you very much. Uh, Tom and Malcolm, we're going to tweet that one. Jason Lawrence and Talent Anarchy, what are you drinking today? Or talk to me. I would tell you I wish that it was an Irish coffee. Uh, it is downright cold here, and uh, a little Irish coffee sounds fabulous, but I figured that might uh, have a, a negative impact on my performance on the call, so I'm uh, I'm just drinking water. Okay. Any special kind of water? Anything really powering you today? I, just, you know, natural right out of the ground in Nebraska, right? <laughs> okay. We'll take it. That's good. We've never had Nebraska water on the show. I think we've had water from other other wells, but that's a good one. Thank you. Alan Lepofsky, Constella- Constellation Research. What's the newlywed drinking today? Anything special? <laughs> About as boring as it gets, unfortunately. I have a glass of water in, I have a glass of water in front of me. Sorry. Don't tell your bride. So what's the most fabulous cup of coffee or tea you had on your fabulous honeymoon? Where did you go? Italy, Alan? I went to Italy, and I had a hot chocolate that was literally a candy bar melted into a glass. It was it was ridiculous. And what was the flavor? Any particular kind of candy bar? I have to know. <laughs> it, was, it was just chocolate. Like, I ordered a hot chocolate and expected, you know, liquid, and this was literally, I think, a melted chocolate bar. I've got some fantastic photos, so be careful when you order hot chocolate in Italy. Well, I'll give you a little clue. There's a little place called the Chocolate Broad. It's near the Broad River in Asheville, North Carolina, called the Chocolate Broad Lounge. Line is out the door on Saturday nights. If you're lucky, there'll be somebody playing music there. You wait on a huge line to get up to the counter, and they feature liquid truffles. So you can pick any one of a dozen flavors, and they melt the truffle in a little demi-tasse cup, serve it with one or two spoons. It's almost too much for one person to, I should say, eat instead of drink. A major treat, but it's what you're talking about. So Chocolate Broad Lounge in Asheville, North Carolina. There's your shout-out. Thank you, Alan. Okay. You didn't expect that one. And Samir Patel, what are you drinking today, or what do you want to drink today? I'm actually drinking nothing. As I walked into this uh, into a conference room for this thing, I dropped a whole cup of coffee in my clothes. Um, and I've got stains all over, which is good, because it kind of signifies, you know, we need to, we need to work transparently. I think all of the panelists on this call would agree that, you know, we need more transparency in how we work and express ideas and expose our stuff to the others. So here I'm sitting very messy um, in a conference room out here. So that's my little story for the day. As Samir, I... Weekday meetings, all-day meetings we... in a nice stained shirt. 
<laughs> I am so sorry. We have never had a dropped spilled cup of coffee on in 150 shows. You know, people have said to me, Samir, that I get people, I get my guests to disclose so much information. Nobody can believe the things we get people to say on the show. So thank you for your transparency. And you know what? Just tell them it's a new design from a very right. high-end fashion designer, and it's one of a kind, Samir. Nobody else in the world has that <laughs> shirt and those pants. You are more unique than usual. Well, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> okay, let's see. I don't think I – let me see if I have any uh, any coffee orders from Malcolm Kimberlin or – oh, Tom Flanagan says he's drinking green tea and considers the beauty of tea drink leads to serendipitous encounters. There we have that again. Malcolm, I don't see what you're drinking today, but we'll get that order from you later. He's usually doing something interesting with the Keurig machine. Okay, and of course, you all know they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on show days, so water with a straw and a nice cup so I don't spill it on my radio studio. Samir, what can I tell you? All this equipment here. So let's kick off our roundtable. Let's get serious, guys. I'm going to start with Jason Lauritsen from Talent Anarchy. You sent me the following note, Jason, and I'd like to have the whole panel jump in after you start us. Talking about virtual hives, virtual teams, how do you make it work? How do you segue from traditional process and protocol to passion, and what does passion lead to hopefully amazing performance? So let me start with this. With virtual teams, it's more important than ever to be intentional about the design and function of the team. So give a little meat on the bones here, Jason Lauritsen, please. What should, te- should every company be designing a virtual team exactly the same way, or does it depend on the function, the part of the department? Talk to me. What, what is this design and function? How does it different for virtual? Sure. I think um, – I think it depends on the situation and the, you know, the situation, the context, the organization. There's a lot of things um, that I think dictate how your team functions. But, but I think the important thing is that when we, when we move to a virtual environment, whatever tools we're using, however we're engaging, I think it's easy to overlook the importance of some of the basics. How, are, how is this team going to function? How are we going to make decisions? How are we going to engage? How are we going to handle conflict? And I just would offer up sort of when we, you know, you look around um, organizations and think about traditional meetings where we, you know, we meet in person. You know, a, a lot of our meetings are really painful and they are really unproductive. And they're, I mean, you, you mm-hmm. ask people, they say meetings are awful. Um, and that has the benefit of sort of an assumed structure, and I can sit across the table and I can read your body language and I can tell when you disagree right. with me. If we don't have some, we don't take some extra steps to put some intention around how you accommodate for that when some of your assumed historical management structures aren't there, I think you have the potential to take, you know, bad meetings and make them even worse with technology, and I think there's a real opportunity here. Interesting. Okay, who wants to jump in? John Hagel, Samir Patel, Alan Lepofsky, who wants to go next with this? I, I think we have a lot to talk about here. Somebody? Yeah, it, it's a rich topic. It's John Hagel. I think that Hi, John. Uh, there are a lot of different contexts in which virtual hives become really powerful and important. Uh, we've been talking more about sustained virtual hives over time, the classic kind of team. I think one of the big applications of virtual hives is around what I would call exception handling in processes. An exception uh-huh. gets thrown out of an automated process. Typically, it's handed off to an individual. That person has to find a group of other people. They're not always obvious who they need to connect with um, and then connect with data and analytics to resolve the exception and get it back in. And it's all within the course of 24, maybe 48 hours. 
And so I think in that context, it's much more important to be able to provide tools so that this individual can quickly find the relevant people, connect with them in a virtual hive, and get access to the relevant resources to resolve the exceptions. So I couldn't agree more with John. This is Samir. I, you know, yes. I think I think there's two things. I would you know I would say there's uh, there's goals and there's exceptions, right? So there's goals, which are the things that, and this becomes increasingly important in this very sort of de- decentralized world. Um, is the ability to um, you know to continue to align go- you know tasks and what we do every day with stated goals. Um, again, brings this you know brings both. Yeah, something that might be centrally managed via HR in terms of your goals on a regular basis, but what you do every day, which is a very line of business thing, you might be in sales and marketing, product development, supply chain, wherever, um, and being able to do, you know, have a collaborative fabric that allows for two things. One is, is you know, making, you know, allowing you to understand, you know, how do you organize, you know, and get the right people to wrap around specific goals, uh, specific tasks that are assigned to goals, that are that are connected to the goals that are set up. As important to that, you know, as important um, is exactly what John said, which is, you know, there's goals and then there's exceptions. We'd love to be, you know, walking down a straight path every day, but in reality, none of us do. Um, and, you know, the ability to be able to find these collaborative constructs where you can find the right people, wrap around them, have the right tools that let you collaborate with them in the context of where you're working so that you can, A, execute against straight-line goals, but be able to also handle these curveballs that get, you know, thrown at us in the form of exceptions every day. So I think that, you know, that to me, that those are two things that, that sort of tie, um, tie in, you know, the right kind of contextual coverage. Thank you. Alan, do you want to add to this? Sure. Let me, let me throw out a slightly different perspective instead of, you know, continuing mm-hmm. along the same path here. Uh, sure. Most of what we've talked about now is the execution of the job that you're doing right now at this time, finding the right expert, doing the right process, you know, mm-hmm. figuring out the exception and getting back to work. One of the things that's important about virtual hives or collaboration or whatever we want to call it today is, is not today's execution, but what happens down the road. And by doing these things in these virtual hives, A, this information is then available downstream. New people can come in. We talk about finding the experts to get this job done right now, but what about a six months from now those people have actually changed jobs? What if new people come in? What if you have a, re- a repeatable process that happens quarterly or biannually or yearly? You know, to be able to go back and run a conference again by looking at the information that you shared the previous year, those might be completely different people now in different roles, but all that information is still available. So I think that's a really important aspect of these virtual hives that we have to, to make sure to consider. Thank you, Alan, and everyone. I have a question for all four of you, if you allow me, please. We talked about, Samir specifically mentioned the right people, and we're talking about, of course, in my opening, we talked about the world is your virtual workplace oyster. It's your workforce oyster. You can hire from anywhere, anyone. So we talked about intention, designing the experience, telling teams what they're going to do. Should this be part of the upfront hiring process where you say to someone, you can be working from home all the time you want. You don't have to go to an office, but we need you to understand the need for a high level of virtual collaboration. We need you to understand that immediate responsiveness is good. We need you to have the energy to make the effort to reach out and find the right people with whom you will be collaborating. So in other words, is this ability to work effectively in a virtual hive part of the job description versus in the old days, which aren't that far away and for some 
people. You go to an office, maybe three, four, five days a week, but you go to an office. What about a job that's purely virtual? Samir, since you're the one who said finding the right people, is that part of the job description and part of the interview process, Samir? Um, I think so to some degree. I mean, I think to some degree, you know, yes, uh, having a sense of whether this, you know, this, you know, out of the gate that this job is going to be virtual, making sure that you feel that, um, you know, you, you can, uh, this is the person who's cut out to actually, you know, be able to do it, uh, virtually based on the requirements of the job. But, you know, it, it also falls right back on the organization as well. I mean, if you're making a concerted effort, um, and a decision, to um, you know, to encourage and uh, empower folks who are working virtually, and in this case, virtually meaning from home, it's also mm-hmm. on you to make sure that the right, um, you know, the right uh, uh, both technology fabric and culture actually ex- exists that could make these people, tr- you know, make these folks thrive in that kind of an environment. Right? It's not on. The, it's not just on them. How well are you exposing? the right kind yes. of identity management constructs so people can actually find the right people. How well are you allowing them to work effectively virtually? Um, uh, you know, are you leading by example and actually doing it? Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, so it, it's a two-way street there. I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan of, you know, putting it all on how on the employee part. Right. Thank Great point, Samir. Somebody else want to join on in that? Agree, disagree? Alan, Jason, John? Sure. I, I could go. I actually have a, a long-winded rant about expertise that I'll try to narrow down to just one minute, and it, it goes something like this. I'll give you I, I two. I'll give you, I'll give you <laughs> two. Give me go two. ahead. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll give I you two. The topic of expertise is something we've been discussing since, you know, the, the mid-'90s or early 2000s with KM and all of these things. I find there's three stages of, of expertise. The first is what I say I do. So people can go in and update their profiles and add tags and give themselves certifications and all sorts of things. I can say I graduated from a certain university and get hired as the head of Yahoo or, you know, anything can sort of happen with what I say. And we know that that's not accurate. There's no validation for that. The second is this new stage where it's instead of what I say I do, it's what others say I do. And that's where we're at with a lot of products today. Probably the most visible instance would be LinkedIn recommendations or endorsements, I guess, is a better uh, way of saying it. So we're all getting flooded with people saying Alan is an expert on this, Samir is an expert on that. So it's not what we say we do, it's what others say we do, which has a little bit more validity. I hope we reach the stage where these products and tools actually don't do what I say I do or what you say I do, but actually data mine and actually put my credentials as what I do, not what I say I do. If I'm answering questions on X or if I'm posting topics on this or if I'm publishing on these reports, I think we need to get to the stage where there's a lot more validity in what we do for our expertise so that we really are finding the right people inside our organization. And then the final part of that is when we do find people, none of the tools today take into account if that person actually wants to be contacted or is available to be contacted or not. So it's great inside an organization to say, I'm able to locate my company's JavaScript expert, you know, very quickly. But that doesn't validate if I should be able to contact that person or not. So we still have a long way to go in expertise and project planning. Done. Interesting. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Thanks for those three three parts to the equation. Uh, John, Jason, you want to jump in here before I move shift a little bit? Sure, John. Well, I, I basically ahead, put the focus less on expertise than on passion because I think that in a world that's so rapidly changing, whatever expertise you have today is going to become obsolete at an accelerating rate. And what's going to drive your learning and your ability to get to ever higher levels of performance is much more around passion. And partly it's, it's focusing hiring to find passionate people, 
But on the other side, if you're not creating work environments that stimulate and reinforce and amplify that passion, you're going to quickly turn off those people. And I believe you can actually draw out passion from most of us in our work environment if you design the work environment in the right way. That's the real challenge to make these virtual hives truly high-performing. Thank you. And I heard another voice back there. Was that Jason or John yeah, who was, is still it waiting? Was Jason. I, Go ahead, Jason. You know, I, I, going back to your, I mean, I think your, your fundamental question is important, and I do think it's critical that there is some discussion up front before you make a decision to join an organization about this. I, I just recently read this uh, uh, new book called The Year Without Pants by Scott Birkin where he talks about his experience working at WordPress for a year. He sort of unpacks what it was like to work there, and this is like a purely virt- virtual workforce. And as I read it, I even know I mean, I'm a fairly, fairly – um, virtual guy work out of a you know I work kind of as an independent out of a home office and I even felt like I would be challenged to adapt in that environment and I would want that to be very explicit up front so that not only could I you know it's not it's partly could I do it but it's also partly to allow me to to make the decision about whether I want to opt into that I think Alan's point is right on is you know, just putting me around the tools and amidst the tools doesn't mean that I am going to engage with those or I'm going to engage. And so I think that I think it is really important. Important. Okay. Did anybody else have anything to add on that one? Okay. Let's talk about social platforms. Let's talk about social networking. What's the place that it has? Uh, just going to pick your brains on if you have such a diverse workforce, you're hiring from all over the world. What is the expectation, this is an interesting question, the expectation that people will or won't share their information on, let's say, Facebook or Twitter? How far out do you want these virtual teams to engage inside and outside the organization? In other words, is social always a good thing if too much is being said outside? Just a a value judgment. Samir, any thoughts on that? I don't know what SAP's policy is on, on Facebook and people having so much social networking that you could look up your colleagues and say, oh, Oh my God! You did that last night. Any thoughts on that? Samir, Alan, you want to jump in? Sorry, I got cut off there. Um, okay, uh, go I said, ahead. I said, you know, I you said, uh, yes, um, I do have an opinion on it, and it some, goes something along the lines of get used to it. Um, ah. You know, <laughs> it okay. Is, um, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, look, you know, there is, we are, we are deep in the throes of our personal and professional lives coming together in ways yes. that we want or don't want. There is some level of control we can have on it. Um, I can make sure that my work professional network never sees anything I do on Facebook. There are some controls, but, you know, identity is increasingly uh, blending. Um, and, you know, there's, there's going to be a level of expression, and at least at, at SAP, if that was your particular question, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would give a, a huge shout-out to Jonathan Becker, our CMO. He's been a, you know, he's, a, he's not just someone who kind of is accepting how it's actually happening. He's, in, he's at the forefront of how this works. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that you want to be out there, you know, expressing your interpretation of things that the company might be doing is something that he heavily... Um, like I said, not just works around, but actually advocates it. Um, you know, can it can it get you into a pickle? It probably can. Um, but what is the, you know, there's the, the, the alternative of not having, you know, the people who you took the time to hire be able to articulate, um, you know, how you think as a company is also a lost, uh, a lost opportunity. So I, 
you know, I think it's a world that we'll adjust to, but it'll be a net positive when we get on the other side. Thank you. And let me just add a side note here before I let the other guests jump in here. Samir, I know very often because I work remotely for SAP, I don't see the people I'm working with. So it's not unusual for me to Google them and say, what does he or she look like? I want to see their picture. I want to see if they're smiling. I want to know about them. So that's just, to me, a normal part of my team effort is, with whom am I interacting? What do they look mm-hmm. like? Where have they been? What's their bio? What are their hobbies? I just want to know because I'm not Samir. I'm not meeting in the hallway and having these little chit chats. I'm not meeting them at the water cooler or on the way to the, the bio break room. So that is something that we agree is missing in the remote, in the virtual hive interactions. And I think it's just a natural curiosity. Alan, John, Jason, anybody want to jump in? Opinion, good, bad, ugly? Talk to me. Uh, I would just say that uh, regarding this concern about what's said and what's shared, um, I'd go back to the invention of the telephone and imagine what an executive would say in a large company when the telephone came in. You mean this person can call anybody they want? And they can say anything they want? We have to shut this down. And I think it's all a question of how do you – build the awareness for people about what is shareable and what's not and develop the practices necessary to really take advantage of this. But I agree completely with Samir. It's a huge lost opportunity if we're not connecting with smart people wherever they are, whether they're inside our company or outside our company, and working together to get to that next level of performance. Yeah, I think, you know, just to build on John's point, I mean, it it is actually, and I'll be a little maybe, you know, dramatic here, but it's actually, it could, you know, it's actually obnoxious to think that, you know, we as, you know, it's plus anyone, any company that, you know, that, that, you know, just learning from your colleagues inside a company um, is, is all, you know, the, the idea that there aren't experts out there who want to engage are dealing with the same kinds of issues and problems and opportunities as you are. And to let that go, I mean, this, you know, we have to change the tone of this conversation to what are we missing by not doing it versus how do we embrace it, right? We have to measure that. Exactly. Anybody else before we go to break? I can give you another minute and a half here. Who wants to add? I hear somebody. Sure, Bonnie. I'll I'll say something quick about this. I think, you know, we're talking about the cultural aspects of people wanting to share, the rules and regulations around allowing them to share. I think there is also a technology side of this where just like in email and other systems we've used, the tools grew up to sort of allow and, and, and deny people from doing certain things. And we're seeing that happen in social networks today, whether it's enterprise social network that is doing keyword scanning for things, file sharing is a big part of it. Like, do you post a file and are we able to actually look, should that file be shared externally? So there's a huge reliance on the humans to do it, but there's also some technology solutions where where companies can still govern what can be shared and can't be shared. And there's a happy mix in there where you, as Samir and Chante, we want to encourage people to do this. But at the same time, we have to protect the company and, and their information. So rather than protecting them by saying they can't do it, let's let people post things on social networks and share files and things, but then have some governance in place that says, this one contains, you know, critical or confidential information before you even hit send. Yes. We're not going to let you do it. And I think those yes. two combined culture and technology really solve that. Very good point. And I have a comment here on Twitter from my co-producer, Malcolm Kimberlin. We haven't talked about the segmentation of the workforce with the panel, so we haven't talked about age or gender or background, but here's a comment from Malcolm. He says, I think millennials do not see the necessity for a separation of their work persona from their private social media channels. Anybody want to agree? 
Martin. I'm not so sure about that. This is Samir. I, Go ahead, Samir. Talk I, to me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it is a, you know, this, this entire conversation around, um, you know, Gen X wanting more privacy and not being comfortable with social media and then, you know, the exact opposite of that too, which is millennials, you know, not looking for privacy. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure that that is, you know, that, that we will look back and be like, that was statistically correct. I can completely understand why that's, um, you know, maybe the first thing that comes to mind. Um, right. But, you know, my mother was an adopter of, you know, uh, Skype, I mean, I am and then Skype um, and now FaceTime much faster than my sister, who's five years younger than me. Um, so <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's a, you know it, it it comes down to need and it's fitting into your lifestyle and there being real reasons for you to look at it. And I think, you know, we have to be very careful. I think when we think about making broad statements around sort of like this generation will do this and that. You know, um, I had you know I have family you know who you know on Facebook growing up you know just out of college about five years ago you know swore that they would never use email and never ever use LinkedIn and tail between their legs when it came to finding a time finding a job they're on LinkedIn and you know using email. So I, I you know I think I think we have to segment based on what people do for a living every day and channel the use of social and collaborative technologies into into how uh it fits into or is it applicable to their worlds versus um you know age or that kind of segmentation. That's my take. Good conversation. Hey, guess what? We've gone so far out. We missed our second break. We missed our third break. But I wanted to let you all talk because I knew it would be a great conversation. Well, I'm going to give you all a rest for not more than one minute. And here's my instruction to the panel. John Hagel from De- Deloitte. I was going to say Detroit. Deloitte. Jason Lauritsen from Talent Anarchy. Alan Leposky from Constellation Research. Samir Patel from SAP. Take a break for one minute. But your homework assignment is go out into the garage or the attic or the trunk of the car and find the crystal ball. Polish it off. I don't care what you use. When we come back, I'll go in the original order. John, Jason, Alan, and Samir. Sounds like a law firm. And I'm going to ask you to look ahead five years if you can and tell me what do you predict for this topic if we had this conversation five years from today. I'll ask you if the crystal ball is cloudy or if you see blue skies ahead and if we'll even be using the term virtual hives. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I still am, and I will be after the break. You're listening to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. We are live. It's Tuesday, November 5th. Our topic is virtual hives. You don't want to miss these predictions. Great conversation, great minds, and we're coming up with great working models for you. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. You know the drill. Brad out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
always talking business, talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Trend in HR trends is we're going to find out what the trends are going to be in 2018, five years from today. If I invited all four of you back and I said virtual hives, well, would you say to me, Bonnie, that's so passe, we haven't used the term in a couple of years. Let's start off our conversation. Predictions, keep it tight, a minute and a half on the clock. John Hagel, third from Deloitte. What do you see in the crystal ball, cloudy or clear, and what will virtual hives be five years out, John? I see bright sunshine. I'm an optimist from Silicon Valley, so I have to see the sunshine. I think that uh, virtual hives will certainly be increasingly important, but they're going to be a smaller part of the puzzle than they are today in the sense that I think the real opportunity is to step back and apply design thinking and design methodology to redesign our entire work environment, uh, physical, virtual management systems, with the explicit design goal of accelerating learning rather than just efficiency of operations, accelerating learning. And that's where virtual hives will play a key role. They'll be the key building block, but they're only a building block. There's a much richer set of infrastructure that's going to be required to really fulfill that mission of accelerating learning. Thank you, John. Quick question and add-on for you. Bonus round, quickly. We haven't talked about the size of companies. I think we've been assuming small to mid-size on the mid-size to large range and up into enterprise. What about a startup? Can they benefit from virtual hives right out of the box? Oh, absolutely. I think many small companies connect often with their broader ecosystem. Again, I think virtual hives are not just within the company, but connecting to smart people wherever they are to help them get better faster. Great. Thank you. Jason Lauritsen, let's build on that from Talent Anarchy. How far out can you see? Five years good for you, too? Five years is fine. I think it's hard to predict beyond that, uh, honestly. And I think I think five years from now, I don't know that this notion of hives will be particularly relevant. I think the broader conversation we're having is really about a sort of what John's talking about, a changing nature of work and how we work and how we engage talent. And I think five years from now, I would suspect that things like hives and virtual collaboration tools and all of that will have become a part of how we work, like email and phones and everything else have become for us today, and that there will probably be a new frontier of technology in front of us at that point that we'll be talking about. So I don't expect this to be a, a particularly hot topic for much longer as, as fast as technology has evolved. Interesting. Okay. Good insights. Thank you. Uh, we're going very quickly. We're going to have some extra time in this segment because we're, we're going quickly. Alan Lepofsky, Constellation Research. What do you see five years ahead, cloudy or clear? Alan? Uh, I think it's, I think it's probably a mix. It's, a, it's sort of a gray day, and I, you know, I want it to be sunny, so we, we hope the sun will come out. But from a lot of the experiences that I've had and a lot of the people I've spoke to, whether it's customers or even friends and family, 
is this concept of virtual workers and working at home and freedom and flexibility and all these things are great up to a certain level. And what I'm finding is in executive ranks, so when you get to a certain point inside organizations, most companies are starting to go back on the demanding having people live and in place, which is unfortunate, especially in Silicon Valley. I deal with a lot of the large you know, collaboration vendors that are doing things like demanding employees be live inside, you know, the walls of their organization, which I, I find is really unfortunate. On a really positive front, like, because I want to leave it on the positive side, I think the big change that we're going to see a couple years out uh, on the employee side is it's going to be less, this concept that I have, you know, that I talk about, less creating content and working together and doing the projects and collaborating in hives and, and more focus on what I call storytelling. And I think people are going to be able to bring in content from, from various places whether it's, you know, YouTube videos or things they're sharing on their blogs and things, and assemble content to create stories a lot more than they're doing today. I think still today there's a lot of starting from ground zero, you know, pressing the new button and getting a blank slate and teams working together to launch a product or create something. And I think, you know, society, you know, culturally people are starting to get more used to resharing others' information, reusing others' information, assembling pieces of, of information to tell stories. And I think in, you know, three to five years that's going to be a lot more commonplace. Thank you. And Samir, before I get to you, I want to ask you to something I neglected to bring up during the show. February 25th, 2013, Marissa Mayer ended Yahoo's work from home policy. Samir, why don't you comment on that as part of your predictions? I can give you two minutes. Go. Yeah, sure. So, I, I mean, first things first, is I, you know, obviously I followed that as much as everybody else on the phone. I, I, I personally, I'm not, you know, the one who would... Um, you know, Marissa has to run her own business, and she will do what she needs to do. As much as I may have an opinion about what I would do for mine, I, you know, I, I think she got more advice than she asked for, and that she's on a mission. So I'll, I'll leave that to her, which I have, entire, you know, full respect for how she wants okay. to, for her to have a way to execute her own business. But okay. on this point, um, you know, um, I think I mean, to me, I mean, all amazing comments. I mean, from you know, all, all of the other panelists, I agree with you know pretty much all those different things sort of playing out. I think one of the things that I'm most fascinated about these days is, you know, the sort of the aftermath of this um, this well-connected, um, uh, clever, collaborative fabric, if you will, that will connect these hives and connect people within hives and connect hives that we're, you know, we're embarking on as the nature of social collaboration, concepts, technologies, and innovation continues to get better and better and better. One of the things that I'm most fascinated about in, in the consumer world that I've been, you know, sort of looking at a lot is, again, this idea around... Um, you know, um, uh, how do we help bring better predictive analytics inside organizations? Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you don't have critical mass around how people are actually working to be able to say, well, they work this way, and so therefore this might happen, plus other circumstances, right? You need the critical mass to be able to make a decision about the future if they're going to rely on, you know, different data points or things that are available at a given time. So, you know, Yelp did a great job, and I read somewhere, but how Yelp... Uh, is looking at providing back uh, knowledge to individual restaurant owners on what kind of capacity they might expect in a given week or in two weeks going forward. Mm-hmm. They're using all the data that's connected inside because of the, co- the conversations. They can, they can start to figure out how many people are actually going to be going out in a certain area. What does your lead pool look like? And think about how in, you know how in, invaluable that is, right? They understand what kind of inventory to buy, how many people to bring on, what kind of staff to have. Mm-hmm. As we start to really rely on these platforms inside organizations, the ability to start to predict, you know, 
um, and get some insight into what HR actually starts to think about you. Are my people, are the folks happy about these projects and these particular initiatives that people are working on? Do they see, are they confident about it? Are they buying into the strategy? What is the general health of the organization? How do I start to evaluate, you know, the, 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 the ramifications of something that we decided to do as an organization on whether folks will actually stick around to help us execute it? We have not got into that level of talent intelligence to be able to understand how to do resources, you know, uh, to deploy resources inside an organization and actually keep people happy. To me, one of the accidental benefits that will come out of using collaboration in a purposeful way around specific contexts, um, we will start to have an entirely new set of data um, that we have just never had ever inside all these systems. So okay. I'm looking at the aftermath of applying these tools and, you know, being able to really, really, really uh, dig into that kind of data. Thank you, Samir. Appreciate that. Great insights. Guess what? I have predictions, and i got about 45 seconds to do them. So next Tuesday here on HR Trends with Game Changers, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, we'll have an interesting topic. That's November 12th. Really? Women in Leadership, Resilience Through Change. Tomorrow, Coffee Break with Game Changers, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern. I'm here in New York, so it's my time, 11. November 6th, new CFO agenda. Tying here, Samir, listen to this, tying predictive analytics to financial performance part two you read my mind dear okay thursday we have another show startup focus with game changers interesting topic get ready for this one startup nation israel why is israel such a fertile ground for innovation and more startups per capita than almost anywhere else in the world you don't want to miss that one thank you and special shout outs to john hagel from deloitte thank you john jason lauritsen talent anarchy alan leposky constellation research samir patel always delighted to have you from sap shout outs again to liz brenner tom flanagan malcolm kimberlin brad and the business channel team and i have a shout out for everybody here's my call to action i hope my panel is sitting down especially you Samir, I don't want to spill anything on you in this one. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. See you tomorrow on Coffee Break. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.